Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. That's 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Please rise for the reading of God's word. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And so we have been going through sections in the book of First Peter for the last five weeks. And it's a little unfortunate because it's been a very fast five weeks and it's unfortunate because in some ways we can't dig for every single gem, but we'll, we, we will do uh, the best we can. Gems, like even in this chapter, we're not, we didn't go through verse 14. And verse 14 is, greet one another with the kiss of love. I think that's a gem. Uh, right before he tells people peace, he tells, he, right before he says peace and finishes off and closes his letter, he tells people to greet each other this way, to greet each other with a kiss of love. And that seems pretty important to me. And brotherly love and sisterly love was meant to be expressed physically as well as intimately. But we're not going to get into that. Like I said, there, there were a lot of gems uh, in this uh, book. But we are going through some specific passages, especially on the maturing of us as Christians. And so we start off with this passage with the word so, another conjunctive adverb which connects what we were talking about last week. And so, because we have all the reason in the world to rejoice in our suffering, we come to the final portion of Peter's letter. And he addresses it to three groups, the elders, the younger, and then to everyone. The three groups are the elders, to the younger, and to everyone. Peter starts out by saying, I exhort the elders. Peter starts out by exhorting or strongly urging the elders as a fellow elder. Mind you, this is Peter that we're talking about. He is the capital A apostle. He's the one who walked and talked and spent time with Jesus. He ate, slept, moved. He did some miracles. He did miracles with Jesus while he was still on this earth. But he refers to himself here as a fellow elder. In fact, it's like he's saying, I too am an elder. 
And if you're following with me from last week, then Peter is describing himself as a fellow elder because he's not putting anyone else below him and he's not putting himself above anybody else. But the elders are with him. This is significant because he's the one that said judgment would begin with the household of God. Remember last week? Judgment would begin at the household of God. So he doesn't put himself outside that judgment. In fact, he acknowledges it and then puts himself in the thick of it. And even more astounding is that he adds to a fellow elder a witness of the sufferings of Christ. You got to think about it. Why sufferings? Why not a witness to the resurrection of Christ? Why not witness to the power of Christ? You know, the sufferings of Christ is not just a pointer to the church's suffering, but literally the sufferings of Christ, his crucifixion, the most painful and shameful moment of Peter. Witness. What kind of witness was he? Wasn't he the one whose courage failed and denied Jesus three times, even though he was the one closest to him? And right after, you know when he did this? He did it right after he boldly said that he would never let Jesus go. You know, Peter sang that song before Darling Check ever did. He's the one that went, Jesus, lover of my soul. Jesus, I will never let you go. And then they're like, do you know Jesus? Like, I don't know Jesus. You know, that's, that's what happened. That's who Peter was. And that is what he is saying. I am a witness to the sufferings of Christ. It brings up to him this failure in his life, this shameful moment. And he's pointing to himself in this manner. You know, when we read the gospel of mark if you read through it you read through it and you're like who is this is the question you can ask who's the biggest idiot in the gospel of mark who's always so dull and doesn't get the picture and jesus goes are you so dull and church fathers and historians maintain it was peter who told mark john mark about these intimate details with jesus See, even from the very beginning, this is a theme that is threaded throughout every portion of this passage. And I would say even the whole letter. But the theme that is threaded throughout the whole passage is humility. And more specifically, humility before exaltation. Humility before exaltation. So even Peter, who is penitent for his sin, and humble in his living and writing, should have us also, like him, be penitent for sin and humble in our living. And Peter shows in his life not only that through his penitence and sin, but more than that, it is that through Jesus Christ, that full restoration is possible. And he was restored in Christ, by Christ, so that he can say through Christ he's a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. Excuse me. So Peter is an elder who has sinned, repented, 
and was restored and now share in the glory with Christ. He has gone through the judgment and the fire. And he's showing the readers of his letters that you will too. All that from one verse. All that from just verse 1. And as we move on from verse 1, we ought to ask, what does he mean by elder? What does he mean by elder? Does he mean just old or older people in the church? Is that what elder means? The answer is yes and no. We're going to dig in a little bit. Elder, or the word that's used, presbyteros. Presbyteros is where we get the word presbyter, but elder in the traditional sense meant leader. And it's usually someone who's more aged or older, but not always. Might I remind you of the letter to Timothy. Timothy was an elder, and he told Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. So if you're an elder and you're young, it, doesn't, it usually means aged, but not always. But presbyter usually meant leader. And that's why we are, or we have a history of being the Presbyterian church. Presbyterian church means we are a church governed by presbyters or elders. And before you say, yes, the Presbyterians have it right, the wordplay that he uses in the next few verses is interesting because he uses the word in the very next verse, shepherd. Shepherd is where we get pastor. So when we refer to someone as a pastor, pastor literally means shepherd. In the Latin, shepherd is pastor. So if we say Pastor Chunsak or Pastor Paul, it means shepherd. And that's how we get the word pastor. So it's like saying, Peter's saying, elders be a pastor. And when you continue to go, even the, just the very next phrase is exercising oversight. Oversight is where is the same root word as overseer. And you might have seen that or read it in the other uh, biblical verses or letters from Paul. And overseer or oversight is episcopeo or episcopus. And episcopus is Latin for bishop. So here we have three things. We have elder. We have pastor. We have bishop. So which is it? Which is right? Should we have bishops? Should we have elders only? Should we have pastors and elders? Wayne Grudem writes this, the combination of the term elder with the verbs related to pastor and bishop, overseer, in such close connection in verses 1 to 2 is good evidence that the terms pastor, bishop, overseer were interchangeable during the New Testament period. They were interchangeable during the New Testament period. And I would say we could even further examine that whether you're a pastor, an elder, or even bishop, Peter is exhorting you right now. And I would say and speculate that maybe and probably in these New Testament churches, churches were different. Some had only presbyters. Some had only pastors. Some had both. Some had bishops overseeing pastors and presbyters and the like. And Peter doesn't say this one is right, this one is wrong. He is speaking to everybody. And what is a fact is that Peter is exhorting these people right now. You are called to be a leader of the church 
and you will go through the fire. And here is my charge. And he goes through three exhortations with its contrasting elements. And that is that elder, pastor, or bishop, whatever it is, you are to serve willingly. And the contrast is not under compulsion. Willingly and not under compulsion. If you're a leader, don't do it under compulsion, but do it willingly. Don't do it because, well, someone has to do it. The rolling of the eyes. If you became a leader, or if you will become a leader that way, Peter is saying, that's wrong. That's wrong. Don't do it grudgingly. Don't ask it in this sarcastic or rhetorical manner. If I don't step up, then what will happen to the church? First of all, what an obnoxious statement. Secondly, God will take care of his church with or without you. So if you're called into service, do it willingly. Willingly means of their own volition and choice. No one has to coax you or bribe you or beg you. But when God says, whom shall I send? The willing servant replies, here I am. Send me. Serve eagerly and not for shameful gain. Willing and eager are different, of course. But Peter says shameful gain, not just any gain. And, of course, full-time elders are to earn money for his work. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. And this is, we refer to them as pastors in this church. But it's not about gain, but shameful gain. Gain isn't the issue at hand here. And shameful gain isn't contrasted with honest gain. He doesn't say, don't do this for shameful gain, but do it for honest gain. He doesn't contrast those two. He says, not for shameful gain, but serve eagerly. Shameful gain is contrasted with eagerness. Even elders, and I would say especially elders, are to guard their hearts from greed and special, or excuse me, selfish interest. Especially elders are to guard their hearts from greed and selfish interests. Peter knows, perhaps more than anybody else, how close, when you are an elder, when you are a leader, how close greed and selfish interest comes to you and how easy it is to give in to that. And thirdly, he says, not domineering, but being examples. Here we see the two previous heart modes or attitudes translate to action or modus operandi, your MO. And so you're not to forcefully subdue people into doing your bidding, but rule by example. An elder is to rule by the power of example. You know, elders who are doing this aren't doing this to seek or bump their own status going up, but it is to edify others. 
And this is so good and it's so important, especially if you are serving the church and especially if you're a leader of the church. The success of the church does not depend on programs. You can't say this enough. The success of the church does not depend on programs. When he is exhorting elders, he doesn't say, make sure you have good programs in place. Make sure your children's ministry is top-notch and that pastor is funny and he brings in oil and soap and water and has a pastoral intern to follow through that example. He doesn't do that. The success of the church does not depend on programs, but it depends on examples. If you are an elder of the church, if you are a leader of the church, he says, be an example to the church. And these things show us that just because you're smart or you're gifted with admin or you're good with finances, it does not merit qualification for leadership. It's these three things. And we are to take note of that seriously. And he goes on to verse 5, and verse 5 says, you who are younger. And you who are younger shouldn't be taken or read as, or at least completely as those who are lesser in physical age. It's easier to see it in our English language, I suppose, and in our culture. But you who are younger would have meant that the elders just meant you who are older, which we already established is not the case. Timothy was an elder, yada, yada, yada. So you who are younger can also be taken as you who are newer, but also um, if that were the case, he wouldn't have linked those two. And if he wanted to just talk about age groups, he would have just cut it off and started a new paragraph. But he connects it. The conjunctive adverb again is likewise. So he connects these two. He's still talking the same topic here. And you who are younger, you need to be subject to those elders. If you're not an elder, you are younger. And that means you need to be subject to the elders. And so, yes, mostly elders should be, even though they might not be physically older, and especially in the case of our church, our, our elders are pretty young in physical age. But those who are to be elders are to be older, at least in spiritual age. And he's saying those who are younger, those who are not elders, be subject, submit to their authority. But you see a full picture being drawn here. Once again, we see a lifting up of both leaders and followers. Elders edify the church. That means even if you're in a higher position, you edify them. That means you take them and you bring them up as high as you can, as high as you can. Elders edify the church. And church, be subject to your elders. Lower yourself. Be subject to those that are put in charge of you. And all of you, this is now to everyone, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Again, the theme of humility is being threaded throughout the whole passage. But God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble should go ding if you've been reading the Bible. And it's also used in James 4, 6, which is from Proverbs 3, 34. But James also says you shouldn't all presume to be teachers because you'll be judged more harshly. Again, the 
theme that Peter is running through, the elders will also be in the center of that judgment is there. But if you think about it, we're all an elder to someone and a younger to someone else. We all have both roles playing out in our relationships. Just because I'm the quote-unquote senior pastor doesn't mean I'm not subject to anybody. Are you kidding me? And so we're all an elder to somebody and younger to somebody else. We all have this role that we play out in our relationships. Why? Because aren't we all, just as it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, aren't we all a royal priesthood, a holy nation? Aren't we all running to receive the crown at the end of the race, like it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 25? Isn't verse 4 what we are running toward as we serve? And in that sense, we're all called to be suffering shepherds. Because when the chief shepherd appears, this is our ultimate desire to receive the unfading crown of glory. Other crowns, other things, other achievements, they fade. They go away. At this point, Peter understands that we have been living this life where if you continue to go out for things in this world, you think you'll be happy once you reach this point. And let's say we are fortunate enough to reach that point. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't. Even if you become the president of the United States, it doesn't satisfy. It's fading. It's short-lived. You know, but when it's out there, it's hard. I, I get it. It's really rough. You know, when the iPhone X comes out, came out, it's like, oh, it's only $1,200? No problem. <laughs> no, it was a problem. But uh, the iPhone X came out, and then you're like, yes, I need to get it. And then you get it, and it's like, I thought I'd be happy, but you're not. You're like still back here. And then the next one will come out. It'll be the Pixel 4 or 4,000, whatever it is, right? It'll come out, and you're like, oh, it's going to be so much better. And you get it, and you thought you'd be here, but you're here. Oh, I thought that if I could just get to the next level in my career, I'm tired of this position I'm in. If I could just get to this VP level or manager level, and then you get there, and it's not there it fades and even if we think we're happy it's short-lived and Peter understands we we get it we're with you here Peter so that's why he's saying aren't we all running this race to get this unfading crown of glory all of us elders younger everybody and when the chief shepherd appears that's what we've been waiting for. We're finally here. We got there. Yes. And that's what we're waiting for. And that's why he's saying you're all called to be humble. As Peter states from verse 6. So how do we stay humble? While we wait for the proper time for God to exalt us. How do we stay humble while we wait for the proper time for God to exalt us? Number one, there's three things, three main things that I see here. Is number one, you cast your anxieties to him knowing that he cares for you. In Philippians 4, 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
In Philippians, it says the same thing. But here it says, cast your anxieties on God. This is why we have prayer in our services. We have prayer in our meetings. We cast it onto him. You know, we as a church don't know where we'll be long term. Uh, it's not here. This is a temporary space for us, and we're very thankful. And it's it's a little anxious. It's a, it's a, it's. I gotta be honest. There's a little anxiety. And Peter is saying, "You don't know where you're going to worship long term. Cast it onto Him, because He cares where you worship." Not to that, I would say, "Amen." Amen and amen. Cast your anxieties. What are you worried about? What's keeping you up at night? What is giving you stress? Cast it onto him. He cares for you. Number two, be sober-minded and watchful. You have to have a clear head and be alert. That means you don't drown yourself out or become inebriated with anything. Why? Because there's a devil, your enemy, and he's waiting to devour you, waiting to attack you at the mom very moment you show weakness. This false accuser is waiting. So that's why we are sober-minded and watchful. That's why we don't inebriate ourselves with anything because we need to be alert. And we need to have a clear head because we realize that we're sending Mike off to Kuwait to a dangerous place but in the spiritual realm we are always in warfare in warfare you would not inebriate yourself you would be as clear-headed and alert as possible and number three resist the devil with firm faith you know, many of us going through new members class, this is where we have uh, a spiritual gift noted as faith as their spiritual gifting. But this is why this is so important. We are all to have firm faith so that we can resist the devil. And this is how you resist the devil, with firm faith. Uh, the encouragement added here is that there are others going through this as well. And others even more that have gone through it, that you are not alone. Uh, when I went to the Eagle Conference the past uh, few months ago, we saw other churches that were like us, who lost their place of worship, who gave their place of worship up, and that they suffered. And it was, it was pretty amazing, to be honest with you, that we could pray. We didn't even have to say words like this was our situation, was a little complicated because of this. We didn't even have to say that. All we had to say was we also don't have a place of worship through these, um, through our breakup with, you know, the denomination, the presbytery, whatever it is. And they prayed for us. They were with us. And so the encouragement that Peter is also adding is you resist the devil with firm faith because others are also going through it. If you look around, there are people right next to you, not just yourself, who's resisting the devil right now, who is resisting the opponent, the evil that is in there. Because 
how many times are we going to get accused? How many times are we going to get deceived thinking this is the right way, this is the right way, only just to maybe even fortunately get it and not end up here, but end up so far behind that line. You are not alone. And in verse 10 it says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Wait, Christ himself restoring, confirming, strengthening, and establishing you? It sounds awfully familiar. It sounds awfully familiar to the very beginning of this passage to Peter's testimony. We come back full circle to see that no matter how bad it gets, it's Christ who's going to restore you. And Peter says, look at my life. The most I got to walk with the true God while he was on this earth. I got to see every intimate and perfect detail of his nature. And I still denied him three times. But instead of me only wallowing in my own self-pity and sin, Christ himself restored me. And so Peter also says, after you have suffered a little while, no matter how bad it gets, Christ is the one that will come and restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Because that's Peter's testimony. And he's saying, no matter how bad it gets, hold on. Don't give up. Just a little bit more. Because Christ is on his way and he's coming. You know, when a little infant gets, or baby gets scared or is unsure, they grip on to the parents' necks. And you can kind of see this when you bring them to the doctor. Um, they have to get their shots. And then they know it's coming. They just know. They grip onto their parents' neck a little tighter until the dad's head turns like red. And it looks like it's about to pop. You know that shot is coming. And you grip that neck. Doesn't matter if it's a vice hold. You grip it. And this is what Peter is saying. Hold on. Don't let go. Don't give up. Just a little bit more because Christ is coming. And he ends that with to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Because he is the sovereign God. He holds the world in his hands. And we can trust in him. We can trust in him. So my friends, whatever it is that we are going through, whatever it is that you're going through this very moment, it's not about denying. It's not about sweeping it under the rug. It's not about just saying it's going to eventually go away. Peter is saying something even bigger than that. He is saying, Hold on, because the one that you're holding on to is worthy. And to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for the word that you've given us through this letter that your servant Peter wrote. We thank you, God, that we are not left to our own devices. Even as a church, we're not left to our own devices. But Lord God, you send us other people 
who are going through similar stages and journeys. But most of all, you yourself went through this journey. You yourself, when you were perfect, suffered and died and rose again. And so, Lord God, we hold on to the one that is sure. We hold on to the one that is eternal. We hold on to the one that is true to his word. We hold on to you, Jesus, and we are expectant of your second coming. And so, Lord, we lift up and we cast our anxieties on you. Let's take this time to pray. And as the Spirit moves in your heart, I want you to offer up your heart and your prayer to the Lord. What is it that you need to cast onto the Lord now? What is it that you need to be reminded of knowing that He cares for you? That we can lift up our prayers to Him casting our anxieties to him knowing in full faith he is the one that will guide us through let's pray